Hello, church. It is so great to see you here in our North Sanctuary. Welcome to our South Sanctuary folks, our Speedway folks, and all the people that are watching online. Did you come today with a sense of expectation? Did you come today with a sense of expectation? You should come every single time with an anticipation that God is going to do something in your life because here's the deal. He's in this place. Where two or more are gathered together in his name, and that's who we're gathering for, uh, he's showing up. And he is here right now, and he has something for you. And I want you to lean into that. Uh, two and a half years ago, uh, we did a survey. It's about six months uh, being in here, and you gave us feedback. I wanted to know where you're at in your spiritual journey. So as a new pastor for you, I can come alongside and help you right where you're at. And there's a number of things you said are going really great in your life, but one of the top things you said you struggled with, matter of fact, you struggled with it enough as we compared your response to congregations around the country, you were pretty much in rock bottom. Okay, that's not my vote for you. That's how you voted for yourself. And the category had to do with prayer. You said that you struggled to pray to find direction for your daily life. And so over the last couple years, we have really been focusing on this idea of prayer uh, throughout the year. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next couple weeks because our goal is to help you move forward. As a matter of fact, you have. You took that same survey just a couple of months ago. We're going to give you the download on that in the days to come. And guess what? Prayer moved from rock bottom in the country to now you're at the top. That's pretty cool, right? You have moved spiritually in your life, which is what we are all about. We want to move you forward in this journey with Christ so that you can experience and do all of the things he created you to be and to do. So we're super excited about that. So uh, I want to bring you the best resources uh, to help you, to come alongside of you. And today uh, we're going to launch this series with a good friend of mine uh, by the name of Rusty George. Uh, Rusty and I have been friends for a number of years now. Uh, he is a pastor of Real Life Church in the California, L.A. area, and he has been for about 18 years. Uh, and uh, he has written a number of books, and one of them that he's going to be launching today is a... Whoops, I forgot to bring it out. I'll bring it out later. It's called After Amen. And, uh, and he's got a lot to say about what happens after you say Amen. So I think this is going to be really relevant to all of you. One of the things I thought about when I, when I decided to bring Rusty here is I've been in about maybe 12 or so Zoom calls with him this year. And uh, every single time I'm on a Zoom call with him, he's got a Kansas City hat on. Okay? He's got a Kansas City Royal hat or a KC hat. And he's going to tell you why in the world a California guy has a KC hat on every single time I'm on a Zoom call with him. Now, one of the things I love about you guys is that you do such a great job of honoring and welcoming people who have come from afar to open up God's word to you. You seem to appreciate it so much. And I want to give you an opportunity today, whether you're at Speedway or online, we can actually hear you. If you're online, put up your hands. You know how you do that, clap or whatever you do. And, um, and let's on the count of three, okay? Let's bring Rusty George out together. Ready? One, two, three. Welcome Rusty George to Westside <laughs> Family Church. Woo! Thanks, buddy. Oh, what a treat it is to be here. Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here for a couple reasons. One, Randy's awesome. Don't tell him that, okay? Just between us. I, I love this guy. And I, I was reading his stuff 
probably 15, 20 years ago, and it had such a huge impact on my life, my wife's life, how we, how we just live out our faith, and uh, I'm, just, I'm just such a, a big fan of his, and now to be a friend of his is just such a gift. Um, but also because coming to Kansas City is a little bit like a trip to the Holy Land, okay, because this is the land of the royals and the chiefs, okay, and... <laughs> And why in the world would I be a Chiefs fan or Royals fan if I live in California? Because I wasn't born out there. I grew up in Wichita. So (laughs) coming to Kansas City for my family was vacation, and it was like this pilgrimage kind of thing. We're going to go see George Brett, and I just thought that was the greatest thing ever. And, uh, you know, growing up, I was a Royals fan with the shirt on, number five on the back. And and so moving out there, I talk about the Royals, and at the time, they thought they had left the MLB. They weren't even sure they were still part of it. And then we came roaring back a few years ago, and now the Chiefs are back uh, for the first time in my lifetime, and it's just been awesome. So anyway, uh, to be with you guys is so great and so fun to be uh, in Kansas City um, as well. Uh, Now, as I said, I am not from California. And when you grow up in Kansas, California is a place you visit, not a place you live, okay? You go to Disneyland, then you get out of there. And so... (laughs) I didn't want to ever live there. That was never my goal. So I, I grew up in Wichita, went to school in Joplin, Missouri at a college there. And then my wife and I, we moved to Lexington, Kentucky. We were out there for about nine years. We had our first child there. And then this church in California called me and said, would you consider coming out and taking over our church? It was a very small church at the time, meeting in a movie theater. And uh, they said, what do you think? And I said, I'm from Kansas. We don't move to California. We visit California. And they said, would you pray about it? And we've been there now 18 years. So that's kind of how God works sometimes. And when you decide to move out to California, uh, that's a big, a big jump, okay? Moving from Lexington, Kentucky to Los Angeles, big deal. And I knew that was going to be a bit of a culture shock. And I really wanted us, when we got there, to really just dive into our neighborhood and know our community well and tell them about the church, which is still relatively new, and invite them to come out. And so when we got there, we thought, everybody in our little neighborhood seems to hang out at this little community pool on Saturdays. So I said to my wife, why don't we you know, just plan to be there next Saturday morning? She said, great. Problem was, I didn't have a swimsuit. Okay, because in Kentucky, you don't swim in pools. It's just ponds and lakes, and so I didn't want to do that. So anyway, um, I, I decided to, I got to go to the mall, got to get a suit. So we go to the mall, and when you're looking for a suit, and this is like June, they're out by this point. They're gone, because they sell out in February. So here I am there in June looking for a suit. I find one suit, and it's bright orange. We Chief fans don't wear orange, do we? Because that's Broncos, and that's not of God. So I decided... Um, <laughs> But I couldn't find another suit. I told you it goes deep, all right? Um, uh, we couldn't, I couldn't find another suit, so I had to buy this suit, bright orange. So I, I got the suit, and then Saturday came around. I suited up. My wife suited up. We got our nine-month-old daughter suited up. We headed down to the, to the pool, and I'm in the water with our daughter kind of floating around. I hand her off to my wife because there's people there now. I get out, and I'm walking around telling about the church and who I am and pastor in town, all that kind of stuff. I get back in the water. I'm sitting there on the step. My wife looks at me, and she goes, Rusty, what's all over your suit? I said, what do you mean? I looked down. Apparently, this was one of those suits that when it gets wet, images appear. Friends, I wish I could tell you it was Bible verses and crosses. (laughs) Topless women. 
Yep. That's right. I've been walking around. How you doing? I'm the pastor at that new church down there. Real life church, clothing optional. I mean, I was mortified. I mean, what in the world? I, there was no warning on the shorts that said, may contain porn or something like that. Put a towel around my waist and we moved. We just got out of there, right? It was awful. Now, now, here's what I know about you. You've probably not had that experience. I pray you haven't. But you've had some experience where you thought something was going to go one way and it went another. Maybe for you, it's when you went to a movie. Somebody said, you got to see this movie. It's so great. It's so great. And you go, it's just terrible. Maybe for you, it was a restaurant. You got to go to this place. It's great. It's great. And it was awful. Maybe for you, it was in a, a certain relationship you got into. If I could date that person, everything would be great. And it wasn't. Maybe for you, it was when you had kids. You know, this is going to be great. Oh, this is a lot of work, you know. It's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of things in life, right, that you think, boy, this is going to be great. And then it doesn't turn out the way that you thought. And let's just be, let's just be really honest. A lot of us have had that experience even with God. Where you have heard people talk it up. You've heard people talk up church and Bible and prayer and all that. And you kind of begin to wade into the waters and... You didn't have that experience. Or maybe you've got a bad church experience in your past. Maybe you've got a bad prayer experience in your past where you prayed and you prayed and you prayed for your mom not to die of cancer, and she still did. And then you go to a Bible study, and somebody's praising God for how they were in the parking lot and prayed for a front row spot, and somebody backed out. And you think, God, I don't, I don't quite understand. Why do you say yes to some prayers and and not to others. What am I missing here? What am I doing wrong? And inevitably, we begin to think that I'm not praying correctly. Maybe I'm not praying passionately enough. Maybe I need to, to yell a little bit more, or throw up a few more Hail Marys, or I, I gotta get the rosary beads. Maybe you feel like I, you're just not, you're not perfect. You just gotta do a few more good deeds, and then God will listen to you. And maybe one of the reasons you have stayed away from prayer or been skeptical about prayer is not because you never tried it, but because you did, and you didn't think it worked. A lot of Sundays, I'll stand out in the lobby talking to people, and I'll have people come up to me and ask me questions, and, and they'll say things like, well, I got this going on in my life. Will you pray for me? I'll say, absolutely, but are you praying as well? And they'll look at me and say, yeah, but I, I'm, not, I'm not getting through. It's kind of that feeling like when you text somebody and then you wait, and then the little bubbles come up like they're texting back, then it goes away. <laughs> you think, what did I do wrong? Do I, do I need to text again? I mean, what's the, the time limit there? Uh, I've heard this expression recently. Have you heard this expression? I've been left on read, which means you texted somebody and you saw that they read it and then they did nothing with it, and you're stuck. And the reality is a lot of us feel that way with God. We feel like he's just not responding. And inevitably, these people that I talk to look at me and they say, what do I do now? And I thought, boy, that is such a great question and a question that I've had as well. And so I did what we all do in those moments. You just start to Google it and look for books on what people have said about it. And guess what? There's a lot of books out there on how to pray. And there's a lot of books out there about what to say when you pray. But there's very few on what do you do after you pray. 
And so I just decided to look at the life of Jesus because everybody would come up to him with their requests. Will you do this? Will you fix this? Will you heal this? And those are, in essence, prayers. And I asked the question, you know, did Jesus have something for them to do next? And what was surprising is Jesus very rarely looked at somebody when they asked him for something and said, you got it. Oftentimes, there were things for them to do next. I kind of put them together in about seven things, and we taught through these at our church and put them in a book, and, and Randy mentioned that earlier. If you don't like to read, it's on Audible as well, but what I want to do in our time together is I want to just drill down on one thing that you and I can do after we say amen that might actually impact the answer to our prayers and certainly will impact how we see God answer our prayers. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to John chapter 2. If you've got your app there, you can open up to that, John chapter 2. We're going to look at uh, one of my favorite stories uh, in the life of Jesus because I just find this to be so fascinating. And the timeline on this is Jesus has gathered some disciples together, and these are guys that no other rabbi wanted. And so nobody was kind of wanting them to follow him, but Jesus said, you can follow me. And so they're kind of tagging along. They're not real sure what's going to happen, but he's got some really cool things to say. There's not been any real miracles just yet, but they're along for the ride. And Jesus, about this time, the only people that know that he's the son of God are Mary, his mother, uh, Joseph, but he's died, and John the Baptist, and most people think he's crazy. And so nobody is really talking about Jesus being the son of God yet. And he and his disciples, his friends, they have been invited to this wedding. Now, let me just state the obvious. You and I aren't always that excited when we get invited to a wedding, are we? Okay, let's just be honest. Every guy in here knows exactly what I'm talking about. When you get that wedding invitation, your first question is, what game am I going to miss? Okay, is it during college football season? How dare they plan a wedding during that, right? And so when that comes and you are invited to a wedding, you don't want to go. But back then, they loved going to weddings because weddings would last for days, maybe weeks. Everybody would come in from everywhere. It was kind of like a potluck. They'd all bring their stuff with them to help provide. In fact, because of that, they had such a huge need for a lot of wine, now, I know you might be on the fence about that around here. I grew up around here. We just didn't talk about that, right? In, in California, they're not on the fence about that at all, okay? That's kind of what you do. And back there in Jerusalem and in Israel, they weren't on the fence about it either. In fact, you could literally be sued if you didn't provide enough wine at a wedding. That's, that's Israel. That's not even California. I mean, that was serious about it. And Jesus shows up there, and his mother Mary comes to him and says, hey, I got to let you know something. I think they're almost out of wine. Now, this is, in essence, Mary's prayer to Jesus, her request for him to do something. And I want you to take a look at Jesus' response. This is fascinating. He says, dear woman, that's not our problem. I want you to think about that for just a second. Does that sound like the Jesus you and I learned about in vacation Bible school? Kids, today when you go home, look at your mom and say, dear woman, that's not my problem, okay? <laughs> and none of us were taught that. We're not supposed to. And all of you kids thinking, that's what I'm going to say next time. Listen, you're not Jesus, okay? <laughs> Jesus says this. What does this mean, okay? Back in the, it's customary back then. This would be like him saying, ma'am, okay? It's a sign of respect, that's not our problem. Possibly meant we were supposed to bring the potato salad. We weren't supposed to bring the wine, and then he says this phrase, 
my time has not yet come. In other words, I haven't let everybody know who I am. I haven't performed any miracles to where they think I'm the son of God. And I want you to notice what Mary does. Mary does not ask a second or a third or a fourth time. Mary does not beg him to please do this. I'm your mother. I need your help. But instead, this is what she says. His mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Just do whatever he tells you. She doesn't feel that she needs to be more perfect to get Jesus to answer her prayers. She doesn't feel she needs to have rosary beads for Jesus to answer her prayers. She doesn't need to say some more, hail me, in order to get Jesus. See, I think that's funny. No one really thinks that's great. Um, there's not a need for her to, to beg Jesus to get him to do what she needs him to do, which is what I think and what you think. I need to be more perfect or I've got to be more passionate. But instead, she just looks at the other servants and she says, just do whatever he tells you to do. In other words, I don't know what he's going to do, but I trust it's the right thing. Sometimes when I'll do a wedding, I'll look at the couple and I'll say, as I walk through this passage, so you want to know the secret to a great marriage? Do whatever Jesus tells you. Love like Jesus, forgive like Jesus, serve like Jesus. Do whatever Jesus tells you. And Mary looks at the servants, not knowing what Jesus is going to do, and just says, do whatever he says. Well, John writes this, and, and John was there. He's an eyewitness, and he writes this down probably about 30 years later after all. Everything transpires with Jesus. And he says, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Now, let's stop right there. This, there's huge symbolism here. This is so cool, and we could spend hours on this, but I don't have that kind of time. So this is what, what John points out. These jars there were used for Jewish people to purify themselves to go before God. And spoiler alert, these jars are going to be turned into, or the water is going to be turned into wine, which John remembers is what Jesus used in the Last Supper to represent his blood, which will purify all of us to stand before God. And John wants us to remember that. He wants us to know that. And each of these jars, they could hold 20 to 30 gallons. These are big, big containers. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. Now, you and I hear that, and we think, okay, we get the garden hose, we fill up the first one, then the second, and the third. Not back then. They've got to drag these down to the river, submerge them, pull them up. Now they need several people to carry these back because now they weigh upwards of 300 pounds, and they are in the heat, dressed for a wedding six times, down to the river and back, down to the river and back, six times. Look what happens next. When the jars had been filled, that phrase is so important. Can we just all say that out loud? All of the locations, everybody online, let's just all say this out loud. When the jars had been filled, not after the first jar, the servants looked at it and said, oh, something's happened here. Not after the second, not after the third, but after the sixth jar had been filled. Jesus says, now dip some out, take it to the master of ceremonies, the wedding coordinator, 
So the servants followed his instructions, and when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. And then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. And this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And notice this. When the jars had been filled, when it comes to you and I in prayer, we have to remember this, that God is faithful not just while we wait, but while we work. We keep taking the trips to the river. And maybe for you, in your prayer life, you're only on your second trip to the river. And you wonder, how long, how many trips, how many jars do I have to fill? I don't know. But I do know that God is faithful, not just while we wait, but while we work. In other words, I like what Pastor Mark Batterson says. Sometimes God is waiting to do the super until we do the natural. So what that means for us is when it comes to prayer, keep working while you're waiting. What do you do after you say amen? What do you do when you hang up the phone? You keep working while you're waiting. Now think about this. You know this to be true in your business life. If you start a business and it's going well and you want to open up a second store, you don't shut the first one down and just go to the second one. You keep working while you're waiting for that to take off. If you're wanting to change a career path and you're starting to go back to school, you don't quit the job you have. You keep the job, you take classes when you can, and you start working while you're waiting. You know this to be true with your kids. You're helping your freshman daughter get through an algebra test. She aces the test. You don't pull her out of school, take her to NASA and say she's ready. She keeps working while she's waiting. And the same thing is true in our relationship with Jesus. We pray and we pray and we pray. And we don't stop because we haven't seen an answer right away. We don't stop and think, I'm not very good at this. We don't stop and say, I must not be good enough or passionate enough in order to get God's attention. We don't assume that God hasn't heard us. We keep working while we're waiting. Because God is faithful, not just while we wait, but while we work. So here's here's kind of the homework I have for you. I want you to think about this fill in the blank, because this is kind of where we are when it comes to our prayer life. God, I'd really like you to what? But until then, I'll keep what? God, I'd really like a new job. I hate the job that I have. I hate working for this boss that I have. But until then... I'm going to work as if I'm working for you. God, I really want my adult kids to forgive me for the lack of the kind of parent that they needed in me. I need them to come back and to just have a relationship with me. But until then, I'm going to keep being the best example of Jesus loving and serving and forgiving just like Jesus did until that day comes. God, I'd really like my relationship at home with my spouse to be better. I'd really like my husband to start coming to church, but he isn't. But until then, I'm going to keep loving like Jesus and serving like Jesus and forgiving like Jesus. 
God, I really want to grow in my relationship with you, but I just feel stuck right now. But until then, I'm going to keep going to church and serving and reading my Bible and praying and giving. It's like Jesus has called me to do. God, I'd really like you to do this, but until then, I'm going to keep working while I'm waiting because I just don't know how many trips to the river I need to go. I think about a guy I had coffee with just a couple days ago. He was telling me about his work situation and how awful it was, and for years, he really, really just kind of despised his boss. He said he's rude, he's sexist, he makes horrible remarks about people, pretty sure he's racist as well. And he said, I've just got all of this trauma against him. And so for the last three years, I've been pursuing other jobs. He said, I'd pray about him. I'd get down to the final two candidates, and I wouldn't get it. And so one day after being you know, kind of struck out for the third time here, I, I, just, I looked up at the heavens and said, God, what do you want me to do? And he said, I just felt like God just impressed upon me. Forgive. So I decided to forgive my boss. I actually set up a meeting with him and told him, I have felt this way from you, and I want you to know I forgive you, and I'm letting you off the hook. So my boss was kind of stunned to even hear this, and he said, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And he said, I just went back and decided to do my job as best as possible. And three months later, I got a call from somebody looking for me. And I would have never, never forgiven him if I'd gotten the job my first try. He just kept working while he was waiting. I think about a woman in our church who wanted her husband to come to church with her, but, but he wouldn't. And so she decided, I'll just attend the online campus. And so every Sunday, she would get up and she'd open her laptop and she'd uh, get ready for church and then she'd go find him and just sit next to him. <laughs> he'd be watching football and he'd look over, what are you watching, church? Oh, okay. And slowly, as the weeks went by, he'd just start watching it a little bit. And then he started coming with her to church. She just kept working while she was waiting. I know that was true for a woman named Rose. Rose and her husband, Jerry, had only been married for about a year, and Jerry was drafted and headed over to Vietnam. While Rose was at home, her next-door neighbor said, hey, you want to go to church with me? Rose had never been to church, but she said, okay. She started going to church and just got ambushed by the grace of God and decided, I think I'm ready to be a Christian. And she got baptized, and she wrote her husband, Jerry, in Vietnam and said, well, I started going to church. I'm a Christian now. He wrote her back and said, well, that's fine for you, but don't expect me to go. He came back from Vietnam, and sure enough, she'd go to church on Sundays. He'd stay home, and she just didn't say anything about it. She just kept loving, serving, no ultimatums, no, uh, if you don't, I'll, I'll leave or whatever, just kind of doing what Jesus told her to do. And one day he said, yeah, I think I'll go with you this week. And he started going to church, ambushed by the grace of God. And he became a Christian. A couple years later, they had a baby girl. And 23 years after that, she became my wife. And I am forever indebted that Rose kept working while she was waiting. I think about a kid named Ryan. Ryan was a high school student and went on a CIY trip to a Christian camp. And I, I happened to go on the trip uh, with, the, with the students. And I went as kind of, you know, a 
pastor and coach and teacher and all that kind of thing and just hanging out with the kids. And we were gone for about a week and we began the, the drive back on Saturday morning, six hours to get back home. Huge bus packed full of kids. And we decided to stop halfway through uh, at, uh, at a McDonald's. I don't know if you've ever seen the look of horror on people's faces <laughs> when a bus pulls into McDonald's, right? The kids rolled out, ran into the McDonald's. People quit their jobs, left. You know, it's, it's pretty epic. So by the time I got in there, the line is clear out the door. And I, I was just being selfish. I didn't want to stand in line. So I walked up to Ryan. And I handed him $20. And I said, hey, would you get me a number three and then get whatever you want? And I'm just going to go sit over here. He looked at me kind of stunned. And he said, okay. I went and sat down and waited. He came over a little bit later, handing me my food and my change. And then he went and sat down. After that, we all got back on the bus. We were in the, the, you know, the bus drive for about another hour, and then Ryan came up and said, can I sit down and talk to you? I said, sure. He said, uh, I just got to tell you what happened back there. I said, what's that? And he goes, I think I looked pretty stunned when you gave me that $20. I said, yeah, you did. He said, well, that's because last night in our worship experience together with the last day of camp, they talked about that there was a mission organization they were going to collect an offering for and give it to. And I just felt like God said, give everything you have. And the only thing I had left was my lunch money for today, so I just gave it all. I said, let me get this straight. You gave all your money last night, and you still got in line? <laughs> and he said, yeah. I just figured God would do something. Maybe, maybe what God is saying to you in your prayers, just go get in line. Take another trip to the river. While you're waiting for me to do the super, you do the natural. You keep working while you're waiting. Because the silence you hear is not that I'm not near. I'm with you. And the miracle will meet you along the way. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for this incredible church, the incredible work that they do, and for the incredible prayers that they pray. And God, I pray that you would overwhelm them with your presence and with your answer to their prayers. But while they are waiting to hear that answer, God, would you let them know that you have heard them and you are with them. So God, as we take these next few moments to just tell you how amazing you are and to listen to you, would you continue to speak to our hearts? We pray all this in your name. Amen.